Amen. It's so awesome to hear of the things of God. Uh, I, I know from a meeting I had earlier this week that they were hoping for, like, to interview three sets of people and put them all together and hoping that they would have enough content. And after three hours of content that they gathered, um, this is just a glimpse of the ways that God has used the prayer journey. And I'm just so thankful that knowing that there's so many more, right? And, and I was talking to my wife this morning as we were getting ready for church and we were just remarking and like four weeks ago we heard from Nate about the new marriage ministry and new marriage pathways that are being birthed in our church. And then I got to talk about foster care and last week Ian talked about Afghan refugees and, and this week the prayer journey, it, it, it's like this explosion of God's work in our community. And I, and I just want to be so careful to say this isn't just our church. This past week, I was meeting with some local pastors in the area, and it's just amazing what God is doing in our region and around the world. It's just awesome, and it's good to take time to share with you how God is on the move. Uh, let me pray and thank the Lord for that as we begin. Dear Lord, we thank you for the ways that you have used the prayer journey and the prayers of our people to seek the good of the West Shore and beyond for your glory. We are thankful for the gift that it is to pray. That you in your sovereignty and in your mercy have made a way for us to talk to the God who made the heavens and the earth. The God who desires to speak to us in prayer. The God who desires to come to him, to come to you with our prayers and petition with thanksgiving. What a good God you are. We thank you for the ways that your prayers, I mean our, our time in prayer with you changes us. I pray, Lord, now as we turn to your word, your living word, that your living word and your, and your spirit, which dwells among us now, would have your way with us. You are welcome here. In your name we pray. Amen. I was joking with Renee, well, not really joking, that uh, it's really unfortunate that she's played a video right before I get up to preach because I cry easily, um, but especially about that. It's just awesome. Well, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. If you haven't met him before, his name is Peterson. There's a picture of him. Uh, Peterson is someone that many of you, if you've been around our church for a while, know and might remember. He uh, was kind of the reason, in many ways, why God led me to start Forgotten Voices with our church family out of a missions trip of our church. And Peterson uh, has been through a lot of hard things. This is me walking with him to visit two graves. The day before I met Peterson, uh, the day I met Peterson was the day before he lost his mom. His mom would die the next day after we met. And the day I met Peterson was about a year before he lost his only sibling, Prudence. And we have been through a lot together. He was seven when I met him, and uh, we have traveled many roads together. I 
used to go visit him a couple times a year when I'd be in Southern Africa and I would take the long trek out, about a day's drive out and back to go visit him, but he was so important to me and I never wanted to stop encouraging him. And whenever we get together, we would talk about the things of God. This kid had lived more than most adults do in their entire life. And he was quick to praise the Lord. He was quick to thank God for sustaining him. He was quick to give praises to God. Well, it's been a while since I've heard from him and even longer since I've seen him. It's been about seven years. And statistically, uh, he's more likely to be dead than alive. And there's been a groan in my heart, and my wife can attest to this, like I've tried to find out how he's doing, but he lives far in a rural area without, you know, electricity or running water or, like he lives far with his grandparents, and I just haven't known how he's doing. So you can imagine my joy this week when I was at Messiah's library working on today's sermon when I got a message from Peterson. He had found me and had been looking for me too and a way to reach me to tell me that he is well. And the way that my heart swelled up knowing this kid I've been praying for and longing to see who is not a child anymore. Here's a picture of him as an adult at 24 years old. And the stories he was sharing with me, his internet connection wasn't good enough to actually talk on the phone. So for 30 something minutes, we were texting on WhatsApp back and forth. And he was saying how God has been sustaining him, how God has provided for him, how even though he was very sick in the last couple of years, he is now not just alive, but well. His grandparents are alive and well. It was good for my soul to hear from Peterson. And I told him, I tell you this story for two reasons. One, to give thanks to God. That he thanked me specifically uh, and asked me to, to pass along his thanks to you all. Because he knows that this body has been praying for him. And, and it's not unusual once a month for someone in this body to say, how's Peterson? And for a while now, you know, my answer has been, I don't know. But let's keep praying. So I wanted you to know that the prayers of yours have sustained him. And so he was thankful to God for your prayers. But I also tell you this story to introduce today's text. We're continuing to look at 1 Thessalonians, and our series has been around Keep Awake. Where we are in the story is uh, Paul, as you likely remember, has been worried. He's been worried about how the Thessalonians are doing. He wanted to know, after having to leave prematurely, he wanted to know how they were doing. How was God sustaining them? How were they keeping awake in the faith? And so he has been worried. He's been worried about what Dan talked about last week on spiritual warfare, whether they were still standing up or whether they had fallen down in the face of spiritual warfare, spiritual attack. He was worried if they'd fallen victim to false teaching. He was worried if they were questioning his motives of why he preaches the gospel at all. He has been gravely concerned. And then you might remember that he sent Timothy to go see how they're doing. And upon Timothy's return with an update, he sat down to write the letter to the Thessalonians that became the book, 1 Thessalonians. And he's now about to share how Timothy's encouraging report impacted him. Just upon hearing from them and hearing how they're doing, 
he wanted to write back to them. So let's read that together. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 through 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. Here's what that says. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. The ESV subtitles this section, Timothy's Encouraging Report. And Timothy's Encouraging Report is, in fact, encouraging, of course, as Paul just described, but it is so much more than that. As I have sat with this text and and studied it, what's clear to me is that this text helps us see how we should be marked in our interactions with one another. Today's text helps us see how we should interact with one another as a church. Our interactions with one another profoundly impact our ability to keep awake in the faith and more fully declare the glory of Christ. May we interact well. You, you see the power of his words that there is more than just encouragement. There is life that's found, right? In verse 8, and now we live. Just hearing how they are remaining steadfast in the faith is actually giving life. So when we're looking at this text, I don't want us to go, this is how we should be nice to one another. But actually we need one another to keep awake in the faith. Our big idea, our main proposition today is this. Our interactions should encourage one another to keep awake in the faith. We should interact well. Our interactions should encourage one another to keep awake in the faith. And we should interact well. Throughout God's word, we are implored to encourage one another in the faith. Just one example of many in the book of Hebrews, which was written to Christians in a time of great conflict and a time of trial. We read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And it goes on. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Our interactions together impact the way we are able to keep awake in the faith. Thereby more fully displaying the glory of Christ. But if our interactions impact the way that we can keep awake in the faith, how do we interact well? 
what are the marks of a church that interacts well? Well, I listed them in your sermon notes if you got them, but I'll go through them one by one. There's four of them and they're listed there. But our interactions with one another should be marked by a desire to be together, a desire to be together, steadfastly encouraging one another and praying for one another in the faith so that we keep awake and upright in the faith, looking to God to do this now and forever. So I wanna go through them one by one. And the first one is a desire to be together. We see that so clearly in this text. There's a genuine love to be together. Not to be kind, but a desire to be together. There's a love there and we should love other people in the church. We should desire to be together. In verse six, it says that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. You can hear that desire. And then verse 10, it says, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face. And verse 11, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. Like if I can pray about anything, I want to be with you. There's a love for the saints. There's a love for the saints that's so evident in Paul's writings. In Romans, he's writing about longing to see the Romans. Romans 1, verse 11 through 12 says this, for I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both, both yours and mine. Out of a love for unity in Christ comes a desire to be together. Because I don't know about you, I, I don't always have that desire. And truthfully, I didn't and haven't always had that desire to be with you. Over the last year and a half, I don't know about you, and it's me, it's, it's certainly me. There, there have been moments where I'm like, I just don't want to go to church. I'm just tired of people. I'm tired of talking about COVID. I'm tired of talking about vaccines. I'm tired of talking about this and that. I'm tired. I do not want to be with them. I don't know if you resonate with that, but that's how I felt. But the problem, and that's a big thing because I love to be with people. I love to talk, as you are experiencing right now. I love to be with people. So we have to remember what, what Dan talked about last week in spiritual warfare, that there is this thing, this presence that we are up against, that we have to know that these feelings we have are not of the Lord. Like he desires that we be together, that we be united in him. And if we're united in him, we remember that we actually need each other to actually have life, not just to be alone, our desire to be together shouldn't be to not be alone. It should be to be together with you all in particular. You, this body of believers that God has placed us together and we should desire to be with one another as Paul desires to be with the Thessalonians. That should be our heart's desire. If we don't have a hunger to be together, what does that say about us? but I was thinking about this last year and a half or two in particular 
uh, I, I was reminded of, of God's desire to be together in you. My teammate Cindy Alioth and I were talking this week and, and just remembering what God has done to bring people back together. You know, when we, when we weren't gathering in person, um, Cindy and I and many others uh, on our hospitality team got to welcome people in the door. And almost every week there was somebody who's like, I haven't been to church in three weeks. It's so good to be back. I haven't been to church in three months, six months. I just met somebody last week. They haven't been here since February of 2020. And there were tears in their eyes. Often, it's just good to be back in the house of the Lord. There's a yearning in you that's been a sweet encouragement to me as one of your pastors. There's a desire to be together. And we have to ask ourselves, what is the condition of our heart? If, it, if it's a take it or leave it thing, like I can just watch it later, it's no big deal, or I'll just go next week. What is the condition of our heart? What are we longing for? Are we finding life in the body? Are we bringing life to the body? Again, our desire to be with one another isn't to not be alone. Our desire should be for one another in particular. Paul clearly desires to be with the Thessalonians, <clears throat> excuse me, and often writes about a longing to be with the body of Christ. May our church's interactions be well marked by a desire to be with one another. My friends, I'm so thankful to God for answering my heart prayer to grow and a desire to be with you because I don't now just want to be with you. I want to encourage you and I want and need to be encouraged by you. I don't just want to hang out. I want to talk about the things of God. And that makes our second interaction. The second mark of interacting well with one another is that we encourage one another in the Lord. What does it mean to encourage one another in the Lord? I want to look at a few different things. The first is we actually have to go and encourage, right? Paul had left prematurely, driven out, and wanted to know what was happening with them. He wanted to go and encourage them. So he sent Timothy to go, actually go to visit them. And then Timothy got the report and encouraged them and was encouraged by them and brought that back to Paul. He sat down and wrote this letter, which became the book, 1 Thessalonians. And then that letter had to go back to the Thessalonians. You actually have to go and encourage. It's not a desire to like, God help me grow and a desire to love these people. You actually have to go out and encourage them and love them. The healing and the desire comes through the encouraging. We all know that we should be nice to people, but being nice isn't what Paul is calling us to. It's to give one another life, to remain steadfast in the faith, not just have something to do on Sunday mornings or Bible studies, just to have something to do, but to give one another life. You have to go and actually encourage. I almost missed that one. You actually have to go and encourage. In verse six, it says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that, 
You always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. Paul through Timothy, they went to the Thessalonians to go and encourage. They returned with encouragement from the Thessalonians and they wrote this letter to go back. We actually have to encourage one another. And Paul is writing to encourage them, but he's also applauding the way that they encourage one another. Later in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Paul writes, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Keep doing it. I am encouraged that you are encouraging not just me, but you're encouraging one another. Keep encouraging. So we have to go and actually encourage but the thing I've learned about what encouragement means through this text and just sitting with this truth is that encouragement doesn't always involve fixing things. But to encourage to stay steadfast in the faith while being honest about our situations. In verse 7 it says, For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Paul was suffering and experiencing persecution and attack, and he, in his suffering, still wanted to encourage and went through Timothy to encourage them. And even though their situation was hard, it was encouraging that Timothy was able to go and bring back a report. So often, I, I don't know about you, I want to like fix things. And there are certainly things that we should go and work to right the wrongs of history and pursue justice and compassion. And we should go and try to fix things that are not as God intended them to be. I'm not discounting that. But encouragement doesn't always involve fixing things. It sometimes involves just presence. It can be greatly encouraging to simply acknowledge that things are hard if they are hard. We long to be with you, and we have come to you amidst your hardships. Paul knew they were under attack and went. I think about a close friend of mine a number of years ago lost a baby, and people didn't know what to say, you know? And people mean well-intended. Often, like, the longer it went on and the grief lingered, people stopped sending cards. They stopped showing up. They didn't know what to say. They avoided my friends. And the thing I learned... Sometimes by being a bit creepy, by driving to their house and just parking in the street and not going to their house, but just texting and saying like, hey, I'm outside if you need me. And if not, I'm just going to sit outside your house. Is the presence and just coming again and again taught me that I could do nothing to bring their child back to life. But I could sit with those who mourn. And he points to that as like, a great encouragement to him that just being with him and not trying to say like, is this okay? This is God's will. And like all of the things that we want to say to make people feel less sad often is actually wanting to make us feel less sad that people are sad. But the encouragement is to mourn with those who mourn, to be present. Because Paul and the Thessalonians were each independently but united suffering for the sake of the gospel. But it was encouraging to know that in your hardship, I'm experiencing hardship, there is a way out. 
one of our values here at the church, we have five core values that we pray over you and we pray that you grow in and we're working toward and just, and just waiting on the Lord for how we grow in this. We have five core values. And one of them is to be rather than appear to be. We wanna be a place that bees rather than appears to be. This is how we define it. We commit to being a safe place for people to wrestle with doubt, fear, sin, and brokenness. So we all might become like Jesus in reality, not just in appearance. When we encourage one another, we grow in Christ together. Amidst our doubts, our fears, our circumstances, we realize that we're not alone and we all need to be united in Christ. We are with one another as a gift from God. To be and sit with as it is and look to the Lord is a good thing. It's encouraging the power of presence. The other thing that encouragement means is that it means to find life. And I already touched on this. It means to find life. When we encourage, we are searching for life for us and life in others. Encouragement actually means the act of giving someone support, confidence, or hope, or the ability to remain steadfast. Giving someone support or confidence and hope. So I'm going to encourage you, but in looking for ways to encourage you, looking for where life is there, that I see hope here. I also receive hope because now I see for something that I was looking for. Paul says in verse eight, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. It wasn't just nice to see you, but I actually feel more confident and steadfast in my life because I have been with you and we have talked about the things of God. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. You standing fast in the Lord gives me life. Me standing fast in the Lord gives you life. But if we don't look for it, if we're not going to encourage one another in those things, we might not see how God is at work. God is at work always. We find life when we see that you are standing firm. I now believe that it's possible that I can stand firm and awake in the faith if I see you doing the same. I find purpose and steadfastness in that. But encouragement also means that we give thanks to God, that we speak of the things of God. Verse nine, it says, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. Encouraging one another is a way to give thanks to God. We encourage one another when we speak of the things of God. Asking as Paul does, through Timothy, what is God doing in your life? Like he went because he wanted to know how is God moving? How is God sustaining you? Even just asking and pointing people to those things and speaking of the things of God is a great encouragement. Because it reminds us that yes, these things might be hard. These things uh, might be difficult. These things are doubting and we have this fear, but God reigns and we think of the things of God God does remarkable things to encourage our souls. I have this friend, Dane. Dane is a friend of mine from the Boston area, and we met him uh, when Katie and I lived in Boston for a little while. And, and I only see him probably like every other year, maybe. And I see him for about a half a day. Not a lot of time. 
But as I was praying about like who in my life embodies this virtue, it's Dane. And I was like, why is it Dane, Lord? And he reminded me that whenever, one of the reasons why I love time with Dane is whenever we're together, no matter how long or short, he is so quick to ask about the things of God. Like, how are you doing? How is God moving? What are you learning? What are you reading? How is God ministering to your soul? And he praises the Lord for those things when I share. How can I be going to the Lord on your behalf? Yeah, we talk about other things, but we talk first about the things of God. I shared in first service, not in my notes, and I think it's worth sharing again. The other person that comes to mind is my mom. I know that many of you have met my mom. She's on the welcome team and hospitality team and at the welcome center often. And I have been going to West Shore since 2002, plus a year or two in college. And I've been a missionary of this church. I've been preaching in this church since about 2006. I've been an elder at this church. I've been on staff for a while. And it is very, very common that people come up to me now and say, my mom and dad have moved here about like a year and a half, two years ago. It's very common for people to come and say, oh, you're, you're Valerie Keith's son. And it's like, that's true. I am Valerie Keith's son. I'm glad to meet you. Uh, and, and the reason why my mom is so memorable to people is that she is just, a, a, just a, such a faithful encourager. She just encourages people and talks about the things of God and smiles and brings joy wherever she goes. That's who God made her to be. And I think I've learned from my mom when she goes and encourages people, right? My favorite story is, this is not in my notes, so we gotta be careful, but you know, uh, these stories can go on and on. I could talk about my, my mom and my wife like until like forever. But, but my mom, one time when I was a kid, my mom went into a rest area and you know, restroom, we were on a trip to Tennessee and, and she came out and she knew, um, you know, she started talking about, like, I just met the most remarkable woman. And she just went in to go to the bathroom. She was only there for a couple minutes. And we said, oh yeah? And she goes, yeah. Like her husband has cancer and her son just broke his leg. And, and my dad and I kind of looked at each other like, how did that happen? And my mom was like, yeah. And I was just telling her like, the Lord will provide for you. I'm so sorry that that's happened. That's a lot. Can I pray for you? Right? And, and she was like, Guys, we got to pray for this woman. She has a lot going on. And my dad and I were like, I mean, I just went to the bathroom. It came out. Like, I, I didn't think of any of those things. My mom, when you're talking to my mom, my mom, the tip that I will share with you because this is who God has made her to be, and this is a living testimony of the hope of the gospel through her. And maybe it'll be instructional to you. My mom often... I learned over time that my mom, when she's talking to people, is praying over them. Like praying that God would use them and grow them if they're not of the Lord right now in a relationship with the Lord, that whatever barriers or blinders are keeping them from them. Just while she's talking to like the janitor in the train station, she is praying over this person, right? And I've watched that same janitor once when I communed with my mom. This is, see, I'm getting dangerous here. I, I, saw, the same, I saw the same janitor that she had met months before, come running across South Station in Boston to just say hello to my mom, right? People we, that once were enemies of God will be in heaven 
in part because of the prayers of my mom. The quiet prayers. We can go and be with people and encourage them in the Lord. Now, talking and encouraging people about other things are fine, right? Like my friends and I, we get together and we talk about our football teams and our sports teams and accomplishments at work and congratulations that your kid did X, Y, and Z. Those are not bad things, but they shouldn't be first. A church that is helping one another grow and keeping awake in the faith is a church marked by encouraging people in the Lord. Our interactions should be well marked by encouraging one another in the faith. The third is to enhance our ability to keep awake and stand firm in the faith. Our interactions should include praying for one another. So we should desire to be together. We should encourage one another and we should be praying for one another. Well, how should we pray and what should we be praying? Well, Paul shows us that. How we should pray. We should pray fervently, continually, and specifically. Fervently, continually, and specifically. This is what I mean. In verse 9 through 10, this is what it says. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Fervently, continually, and specifically. Fervently, it says, for what thanksgiving can return to God for you? And we pray most earnestly, verse 10. And then, of course, continually, night and day, Paul is praying for the Thessalonians. And then in verse 10, he shows us specifically, he prays specifically for two things. First, that we may see you face to face. And second, supply what is lacking in your faith. You remember that he had to leave prematurely and he didn't get to finish his teaching. And so he longs to be with them face to face, but not just to hang out. He wants to help them grow in their faith and be encouraged by them as they have encouraged him. He's trusting, he's trusting God to supply their needs. He says something similar. Paul says something similar in Ephesians 6.18. He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. He calls the Ephesians and the Thessalonians to keep alert by praying fervently and continually for God to give them what they need for the spirit to provide. So to pray for people, how do we know what to pray? I think that we need to listen and ask, and ask, and listen. And we should converse fervently, continually, and specifically about the things of God. An example is my life group. I just, I'm a big fan of life group, not just because I'm on staff and they pay me to say this. My wife and I have been in life groups. Like, I've been in life groups, in different groups, like in my spiritual journey since I was a child. And our life group now I, we have grown so much in our faith. And one of the ways we've grown is through, we do these things called gender nights. So we meet every week as a life group. And then the first time we meet in the month, we do these things called gender nights. The guys go out and the gals go out and we go out separate places. And the thing I've learned of how to grow and pray for one another is that we get right down to the things of God. 
like we can text each other and chat about this thing and that thing. And again, like our sports teams and this, you know, we talk about all this stuff. We text about all this stuff. But when we get together for gender night, we talk about the things of God. Like, what do we need to confess? How is God moving? What's heavy on your heart that we can be praying for one another about? And then you know what we do? We pray. And the other thing we do that helps us bond together and pray for one another is that we read a chapter of the Bible together, the same book of the Bible. We go through books of the Bible and we take turns who's doing that. And we read a chapter of the Bible every day and we text each other about what we learned from that text. And if we have a word of like how that encourages us or responds to something we're praying for each other, we share that too. Just the simple act of sharing with one another what God's doing in our lives and the things we need to confess. Praying for one another and reading the Bible together. Just a chapter a day has given us great vitality in the faith. It helps us to make the first things first. Once you've asked and listened, pray about these things. These will help you steadfastly encourage one another in the faith. Now, you might be saying, this is too much. I've got a lot going on. I've got a lot of things to do. That's not where I am. I don't have a desire. I don't want to encourage. I don't pray. That might be you. I first want to say, I desire to be with you. If that's where you are, like, you have come to the right place. Because that leads us to the fourth mark of a church that's interacting well to keep one another awake in the faith. Look to God. To interact well, to help us keep awake in the faith, our interactions should be marked by looking to God, a people that looks to God to do these things. Certainly there's tons of self-help books and trainings and podcasts and documentaries and movies and museums and things that we can learn about like the world is at our fingertips like literally to learn about all kinds of stuff and we are consuming stuff in all record form but then we are bewildered by why we see no meaning or significance and we have no lives or interactions of meaning that are helping us grow in our faith those things are not always bad in and of themselves but they should be second not first we should look to God to do them all, to bring about the renewal that we long for, to stay awake in the faith, to keep awake in the faith, to help grow into a person that people desire to be with. We have to look to God. That's what Paul does. Paul looks to God, not the Thessalonians, to bring these things about. He desires to be with them. He encourages them, is encouraged by them. He's praying for them but he looks to God to bring these things about. He can't do it and neither can we. Listen to what Paul says in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. It will be God who brings their desires to be together. He, he will fulfill that desire in his providence and timing on this side of heaven or the next. God will do that. And in verse 12, it says, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all we do for you. Like, I don't know where you are, but the rebirth in me came from going to God and saying, God, like, give me a love for other people. 
I'm tired of being in the bunker. And it's not that I'm tired of being alone. I just don't want to live like this. It's not us versus us. It's us on behalf as ambassadors for the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. The things that want to separate us are not of the Lord. We are united in Christ and will stand with all the saints for all time. If you're a follower of Jesus, we will be together for eternity. We should desire to be together now. If you don't love your church family, your neighbor, if you don't have a person in your life to help you do that or love you like that, look to God first. He will direct you to those people and will increase your love for one another. He will give you what you need. There is no self-help book. There is no podcast. There is no anything man-made that will do that like God will do that. Look to God first. In verse 13, it says, so that you may establish your hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all his saints. Looking to God explains why we do all of this. To keep awake and stand blameless in holiness before God the Father. Our lives and our interactions are to help us keep awake in the faith for the glory of Christ. And the good news, friends, the good news, there's so much good news here, but one of the points of good news I want to highlight for us today is if you are a follower of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit lives in you. Paul in Philippians reminds us to look to God to do these things. Philippians 1.6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. God can and desires to give his people good gifts. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking what it means to live a life pleasing to God and what coming of the Lord means. These things that Paul references in the text and winds it down. These are important things, but we're going to talk about them in greater depth. So I didn't explore them in great depth today. But know that I am praying for you. I have been and will continue to be praying for you that we grow as a people that first and foremost desire to talk about the things of God. That we desire to be one of, with one another, to keep awake in the faith, to help one another come together and grow and be who God made us to be for his glory. I'm praying that we grow as a people who are yearning and eager to encourage one another, but not just have a desire to do it, but are marked as people who actually go and encourage on behalf of our King. I'm praying that we are growing as people who are praying fervently for one another, continually and specifically for one another. Not the kind of prayers that like, hey, thanks for sharing your need prayer. I will pray for you. Dear Lord, help that guy. Amen. We are not rubber stamping. We are acting as authority on the principles of the King of Kings who sent us to go out and be ambassadors in his name. May we pray like that. And like you, 
I have inadequacies and struggle with some of these things. I am not where God wants me to be, but I and you need to look to God to bring about all of these things. And when he does, we can say, look at what God has done. Wow. It's not us. God is on the move. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to spend time in your word. We pray, Lord, we know that we are not where you want us to be. The Thessalonians were not perfect people, but yet Paul desired to be with them. Lord, may we not make a perfection the mark of people we desire to be with, but may we mark a desire to be with the people who are ready to be to be molded and broken and reformed to do what you want us to do. Lord, thank you for this time to study your word. We, we do not take it lightly, the opportunity we have to freely study your word and now boldly go out and live it. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our everything. Have your way with us. Receive our praises now. In your name we pray, amen.